Welcome to the York Story Slam podcast, where we feature select stories from our monthly open mic storytelling events in York, Pennsylvania. On May 15th, 13 storytellers shared their stories with our audience at Holy Helm Tap Room in downtown York. Our theme for the evening was planes, trains, and automobiles. We heard stories of road trips with friends, family and felines, international travel across several continents, and one particularly exciting journey via tuk-tuk. Sarah Chain won with her story of the many stages of a car accident. So I was 21 years old when I got in my first car accident. I was a senior in college, and I had taken a Saturday where I totally could have been sleeping to take the cardboard that my apartment complex had not recycled to take it to the local recycling center. And I was rewarded for it uh, by getting T-boned by an older gentleman at an intersection where he ran a red light. And that is where I learned that car accidents have stages. So you have the first stage of, oh shit, someone just hit me in their vehicle. And the second stage of, I think I'm fine, everything's fine, probably get out of the road. And the third stage of, hello, sir, you just hit me in your car. Uh, and, you know, the fourth and fifth and 27th stages of figuring it all out from there, which for me as a 21-year-old, having never been in a car accident, was calling my mom, who didn't pick up her phone, and my dad, who didn't pick up his phone, and our house phone, which no one picks up, and my sister who didn't pick up her phone, and my godmother who didn't pick up her phone, and then finally my poor anxiety-prone grandma, at which point, like, I'm crying a lot. Uh, And I'm like, I just got in a car accident, and I don't know what to do, and somebody help me. And she was like, well, probably call the police. That should have been your first call. So I called the police. Meanwhile, this, like, older gentleman is like, here, just have $300. Like, it's fine. And I was like, I don't know, is that what you do? So that's when I also learned uh, that when I get in a car accident, I like to have a panic attack. So stage like 60 of that day was me still like in my apartment having called the police and exchanged insurance and towed the car just like crying because can't stop crying. I got in a car accident. Fast forward six months when I'm a car accident pro (laughs) and I got in my second car accident, still 21, still a senior in college. And this particular one, I think it was like February, and I had been on campus five, 12, well, six, 12 hour days, Monday through Friday for like, you know, school. Um, And then we had a deadline for the yearbook and I was there Saturday from eight to eight. And I had left the yearbook office and I'd gone to the Walmart to get my groceries. And I checked out and I loaded the groceries into my trunk and I put the key in the ignition and I backed out of my spot. And like the only thing between me and my bed was the drive home, the drive out of the Walmart parking lot, really. And backed out of the spot and like, vroom, vroom, here we go. And this Jeep was cutting through many lanes of the Walmart parking lot and boom, right in the side of my car with all my groceries and my happiness all contained in there. (laughs) And at this point, again, a car accident professional, I was mad. And I got out of the car and I was like, step one, no damage to me. Step two, definitely damage to my car. Step three, call the police. (laughs) So 
the, the man who, who hit me uh, immediately apologized. You know, I didn't see you there. Oh, weird, me driving in the lane that you're supposed to drive in. Okay. So I called the police, and in the time it takes the police to get there, he and his friend change out the license plates on his Jeep. <laughs> okay. So they get there, and they take, you know, they take our information, they take the statement, like, whatever, sir, let's just get this over with. Again, like, minimal time between me and my bed, please. And um, we make it through that stage of the, the car accident. And so, you know, the next stage is you call your insurance, you report that, you know, I'm a professional, the, the accident, and the driver who's at fault then pays, or his insurance company pays for your repairs. Uh, issue with that step in this accident is apparently that driver didn't claim fault. Like he apologized when he hit my car before he changed his license plates before the police came, but then was like, I don't know whose fault it was. It could have been anybody's. And so uh, I had his phone number from when we exchanged information and insurance information. And I called him and I left a very kind voicemail. And I said, get your shit together because you've got to do your part before my, my car can get fixed. And I was like, well, this is a new stage, but like, check mark, that stage is done. Now my car is going to get fixed, which it did. He did whatever he needed to do. And they paid for my car to be fixed. And I thought, okay, two out of two, not bad for senior year. Until several weeks later, when my car was fixed and perfect and fine, and I got a text message from the man who hit me in the Walmart parking lot one Friday evening that said, hey. And I said, nope. Sarah earned a spot in our Grand Slam in November. Next up is first-timer Rachel Presner, who shared her experience hitchhiking in Italy and the conversations that transcend the language barrier. So I'm on the side of this country road in rural Sicily with two friends. And we're about two miles from where we want to go, and we're deciding if we should hitchhike or not. Um, so we had planned this trip out, and what we didn't see on Google Maps was that the road we wanted to take and actually walk was like shrinks down to one lane, and there's no shoulder, and there's just these like hairpin blind turns going up the mountainside. So it obviously wasn't safe to walk, and we decide maybe it would actually be safer if we hitchhike instead. Um, so we're off on the side of the road, we're discussing our options, and what we want to do is we want to go to this nature preserve, there's this hike we want to do, and it's like this gorge with really steep, like a really steep canyon, and at the bottom there's this really beautiful, um, shockingly blue river. So we want to go there, and you know, it's me and my two friends, we're all in our early 20s, um, we're in a foreign country, we don't speak the language, but we decide to hitchhike because, you know, what could go wrong? Um, so the first car it comes down the road, it gets closer to us, we put our thumbs out, and I start to get butterflies in my stomach, and it just drives past us without stopping. So then there's a second car, and again, it gets, it drives closer to us, we put our thumbs out, and 
it just drives right past. A third car comes, and it's this really small, like teal blue Fiat. It's two thirds the size of the smallest car I've ever seen in the US, just really tiny, like a tin can. And it comes closer to us, it slows down, and it stops. And this really exuberant Italian man like jumps out and he's like motioning us into the backseat of the car. He's speaking Italian. We don't understand what he's saying, but we understand. We get in and we're like on top of each other because the car is that small. And in the passenger seat, there's this Italian grandmother, tiny white hair. We're going up the switchbacks. Um, the driver is smoking out the driver's side window. Um, and somehow he's like talking gesturing, smoking, driving, all at the same time. Um, and all of a sudden, like on our, the left-hand side of the car, it just drops off and there's this landscape and it's this green, lush valley. There's these tiny farms and these really ancient stone houses that we can see. And I, the driver's explaining it all to us in Italian about the landscape and the history. And my eyes are like glued to his, face in the rear view mirror because I'm trying to understand what he's saying and my friends and I are like whispering in the back conferring we all speak Spanish so we can kind of understand what he's saying but you know not all the way um, and then we pull into this neighborhood so we stop in front of this house and um, there's this long handwritten letter on the gate of the house and this woman comes out and she's weeping and the grandmother gets out of the car and they hug and they just hold each other for a long time. And then the driver turned around and he was speaking Italian, but I understood exactly what he said. And he said, last week on Sunday, my dad died. So we obviously couldn't um, really, res we couldn't respond to that, but we tried and like, he knew that we understood what he was saying. And um, we ended up getting to go on our hike that day. We got to go to the nature preserve. There were other adventures that we had. But what I remember most was the man and the woman and the fact that they went out of their way to be kind to us when they were in the midst of something that was obviously really difficult for them. I don't think they knew how much that meant to us at the time. But um, I think that it's hard to know how something small can mean a lot to someone else. Thank you. Our final story on this month's podcast comes from Matt Fieser. Matt told a story of the great temptation and test of willpower in taking a cop car out for a spin. My friend had, his father owned an electronics company and they had a lot of contracts with various police municipalities, they had contracts with the state police. What they did is they essentially calibrated the radar, the vast car, and the ESP that catches all of us when we're speeding. That was one of the things that his, uh, his father's company did. And that's one of the things he did over the summers and when he worked there, and this was like I think after a freshman year in college. He gave me a call and he said, you know, are you up? I'm answering the phone, yeah, I'm up. So. He says, I'm going to bring, you know, I got a cruiser. I'm going to come up and uh, we're going to take the cruiser and police cruiser and we're going to go pick up a new one. 
So he pulls up in my driveway, and he's got a Crown Victoria. And this thing's got like several hundred thousand miles on it. It's, it's an unmarked car. It's just kind of beat. So we take that, and we go to this you know, local municipality, this, uh, to this police station. And I'm waiting while he goes in, and he comes out with you know, a set of keys. And sitting over in the corner is a brand new police cruiser. This thing is not unmarked. This thing is very marked. This thing has lights, spotlights, everything. And we being two 19, 20-year-old males are going to take this vehicle back to his father's company, back to the office, in a kind of a circuitous route. We're not going to go directly home. We get in, and it's absolutely brand new. I mean, I look down, and I don't know why I looked down. I just remember looking down and seeing this, this drab olive bag that contained the words Smith & Wesson, where the shotgun was, because the shotgun hadn't been mounted on the uh, dashboard yet, or if you've ever seen the shotgun mounted on the dashboard like that. So we're in the car, and we're proceeding. And we kind of went to a semi-residential neighborhood, and when you're in a police car, it's, it's kind of fascinating. You didn't, we weren't thinking about it. We were just kind of driving along. All these cars all around us are going really, really slow. <laughs> and, and we're like, why are you? And there's this Camaro in front of us. I remember this Camaro. And like, why are you going? It's like they're going 20 miles an hour in a 25-mile-an-hour zone, and we're in a, we're in a police car. So I, I look over at Kevin, and I'm like, can we? Come on. Can we, can we do it? And, and he's like, oh, okay. So he reaches, flips the switch, lights come on. I can't remember if we hit a siren or not, to be 100% honest, but this car pulls over instantly, and we're like, oh, my God. He hits the accelerator. It's warp speed. We fly past this car. We're laughing our asses off. We think this is the best thing ever. The problem with, I don't know if there's anybody in law enforcement who's here, but the problem inside, if you've ever been inside a police cruiser, I've been in a few, unfortunately, <laughs> there are a lot of switches in there. It's like a 747 in there. There are you know, just a phalanx of switches everywhere. And the problem was, I don't think he really paid attention to which switch he switched on. And we're going around these neighborhoods with the lights on. We're looking in people's front windows, and we're seeing the fact that the lights are still on. We're flipping other, or he's flipping other switches. There's all these lights that will, like, show down an alley and all kinds of lights that different spotlights do all kinds of wild things. But none of them are turning off the main lights. And we're kind of getting to the point where we're freaking out a little bit. And... Finally, he gets the switch to turn off the side light and the spotlight and, and, and the flashing lights. And so we, as you can imagine, we just kind of went home very calmly and, and not with much aggression or not with much you know, mayhem in mind. So we did get to uh, my block, and right before my block, he flips the light back on. And goes busting up my street and pulls up into my drive with the lights still on. He lets me out. I get out. He turns the lights off. He leaves. I get in my car a little bit later. I go to work. I work. I come back home that evening. And my mom says to me when I get home, she said, 
was Kevin over here? Did he, uh, he didn't pick you up in a police cruiser, did he? I'm like, how the hell do you know that? She said, well, the neighbors called, and they said, the police brought you home this morning. And I said, yeah, he picked me up in a cruiser, and that's what happened. And to this day, I don't know if she can not remember now, but for years and years and years, she would never tell me who narked on me. I wanted to know who in the neighborhood was the mark who was going to tell on me no matter what. So that's, that's the end. All the winners from this year's Open Mic Story Slam events will return to compete for the title of Best Storyteller in York. Tickets for our events are available on our website, yorkstoryslam.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter. You can also follow us on Twitter, as well as on Facebook, and watch videos of all the stories from our events on our YouTube channel. We hope to see you on stage soon. Thanks for listening. This Story Slam podcast is produced by Carla Wilson of Wilson Media Services. Theme music composed and performed by David Wilson. You can learn more at wilsonmediaservices.com.